And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. I'm 903 years old and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case... Alonzi! Would you like a jelly baby? My Sarah Jane. Hijack the show, I think. I think we should just talk about the Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing's happened this Christmas around the Doctor, has it? Not, no, not really. Nothing of right. no. So here to not talk about Doctor Who at all uh, is uh, let's take a look at who we got on the call. Uh, Andrew Leyland. Hello. Hello, Andy. Welcome to the non-Doctor Who Doctor Who podcast. We've also got Dave Walker with us. Hello. Hi Dave, welcome to the non-Doctor Who Doctor Who podcast, and Sean Engel, who's probably going to beat me up for hijacking his show. Hello! Hi Sean, welcome to the non-Doctor Who Doctor Who podcast. Has anyone got anything they'd like to not say about non-Doctor Who? I love the Fantastic Four. <laughs> oh dear, I should probably introduce them. My name's Steve Lacey, and I've made a complete balls up for this opening, but this is uh, another episode of Who True Freaks. Does anyone know what number we're on? Um... You know, we haven't released one episode yet, so I think this might be 12 or 13, depending upon when the oh. document comes out. <laughs> Look, so that it works. would be those specific numbers that we're unsure about, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah <laughs> Go on, Moffat, set us straight. <laughs> yeah, I'm certain, yeah, there's, there's one in there that we haven't done yet that we'll reveal later on in the show. And, and there was probably an episode which turns out was two episodes, even though it was the same episode. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, all, all this sort of beating around the bush and sly references to regenerations is because we're here, uh, us valiant four are here to discuss uh, the end of the 11th or 12th or 13th, who knows. 
yes, uh, Matt Smith bowed out as the Doctor of the moment uh, on Christmas Day uh, around most of the world, except for Australia, who got it on Boxing Day, stupid Aussies. Oh. Um, so, well, actually, thinking about it, they couldn't have had it on Christmas Day because it was Boxing Day by the time we had it. Um, we're clearly the most important ones. But uh, the time of the Doctor was the final episode of Matt Smith's run. It was also the 2013 Christmas special. Uh, so we're here to discuss that. And because of how the episode turned out, we'll probably be talking a bit about uh, the general 11th Doctorness as well. Has anyone done a, like a recap of the episode? No. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, essentially it's uh, the doctor meets with Clara on Christmas. She has decided that, unfortunately, her family had come over and uh, she needed someone to be her boyfriend. So, of course, who would she choose but the doctor? The doctor gets uh, engaged in uh, trying to get her Christmas uh, turkey cooked. There's some partial nudity. There's unfortunate not Clara nudity. There's a planet which might be Gallifrey, a message from the Gallifreyans, references to the big crack that we saw at the uh, beginning in the 11th hour. There's Daleks, there's explosions, there's aging, there's Christmas towns, there's references to all the uh, villains from the Doctor Who mythos, uh, past and present. And um, in all, it's a for, for me, it was in general, it was a good episode, but following the 50th, it uh, unfortunately pales in comparison. The one thing that I kind of related to, and this will be interesting because it kind of links into what you were doing, Stephen, was Avengers Syndrome. This yeah. Since this came out right after the 50th episode, it's got that sort of feel of Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 was, was a good uh, movie, but looking in it in comparison to the Avengers, which was just amazing, it kind of paled in comparison. And that's kind of how I felt about this episode. Um, I rewatched it again last night and I thought it was, uh, thought it held up a little better. You know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to, you know, I knew what was going on. So I was able to be more engaged in it, but yeah, it's, it's a good ending for the, uh, Matt Smith era, but it may not be the best episode of the Matt Smith era, unfortunately. Anyone else? Anyone else got any ideas or any comments on it? No, I was thinking exactly what you were about Iron Man three there, and both happen at Christmas too. So true. The the, the parallels are there. Um, it it was fun. Um, I enjoyed all of the different ideas they threw in there, but I they didn't really spend enough time, in my opinion, actually exploring a few of the things. You know what all he was doing there. They they could basically have an entire series based at Christmas. The time called Christmas, not at Christmas time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Um, Andy? Um, I enjoyed it while I was watching it. I wasn't, I don't, I don't seem to have had this adverse reaction to it that everyone else had. I thought it was quite well done. Uh, going back to what Dave said, apparently there is a much longer edit of it somewhere that was trimmed down to make it 60 minutes. So whether that extra time will make any difference if it ever gets released or if it's just released as deleted scenes, I don't know. Um, yeah, it was. It does suffer from coming straight after the 50th. I think Matt Smith was ultimately given short shrift because of when he's chosen to leave the show. I mean, that's not the producer's fault. I mean, apparently there was some discussion about when he was going to leave. He was originally going to leave at the end of the series. 
Well, then Moffitt said, well, you're going to have to come back for the 50th anyway. So then it was, well, you don't want to regenerate in the 50th because then it's not about you. But I think even leaving in the Christmas special, it's not been made about him because it's following on from the 50th. He, re- he really should have done another year or even just another couple of episodes so that him leaving was separated from all of the hoopla surrounding the 50th anniversary celebrations. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. I don't think there was anything wrong with it. I enjoyed watching it. It wasn't one of the better ones, but it wasn't cack. True. No, it, it's no end of time. <laughs> and that's very true. Thankfully, it's not yes. the end of time. Or, or New Doctor. Yeah, that's one of the things I did like about it. It didn't have that extended, almost Lord of the Rings ending that uh, David Tennant tried to bring out in End of Time. The Ridge generation was quick. Uh, it got over with. He was able to get in his nice little farewell line, and then you got Peter Capaldi there and then, well, done and done and done. My my view on the episode was that it was pretty good, but ultimately failed at most of what it set out to do. Um, Dave's hinted on the reason for that. I think the episode was too short and I think it was unevenly paced. Um, I was, I've been doing, I, one of the books I received for Christmas was a, a massive 800 page clobber of vagrant to death book about the history of the National Theatre. And I, I was trying to think about it in theatrical terms. And it seems to me there was a, a really strong three act structure that didn't come across. And if it could be the three parts of the episode could have been made more clear and distinct and certainly the middle part explored more than we could have had a much more interesting show. It seemed that we spent far too long messing around with Clara's Christmas dinner, which didn't really connect to the rest of the episode, and the joke about nudity, which didn't work at all, especially when the Doctor then pulls the seal of the High Council out of his holographic clothes. <laughs> now, where's he been keeping that for 800 years? Um, or oh, do we not want to know? <laughs> probably... No Maybe it was so dark. Um, the, middle, <laughs> the middle section, and it seems to me that first section ends when he banishes Clara back to Earth, much as uh, the Ninth Doctor did with Rose in The Parting of Ways and um, Bad Wolf. He sends her back home. You then got this middle section, which should have been this glorious thing taking place over generations of him defending Christmas. So you could have had a bit more with the Sontarans, you could have seen the Weeping Angels make their assault, have the Wooden Cyberman, which I thought was great, with him progressively growing older but also explored why he why he grew to love this town why he stayed for Christmas yes he stayed to stop the time laws coming through and a new war kicking off but what made him connect with that because there are so many tie backs to the 11th hour remember when he did that speech to the Atraxi and he says you know I put a lot of work into this place and that seems to be exactly what he's doing there. And I would love to have seen him re- interact with the children, then with the children's children, and more of that. So this sort of quick fleeting thing with the, the kid Barnable. And then the third act is the Daleks making their move, leading into the regeneration. If they could have split those up more and given us more of a sense of the Doctor getting old rather than, oh, he's got some makeup and has a stick. Mm-hmm. I think that would have helped it flow more and take out some of the not particularly interesting slapstick with the nudity and the, the flirting with Tasha Lem and all of that because let's face it she's just River Song with a stripe across her face <laughs> was that because was River not available no River would have complicated it River couldn't have the, the the character of River couldn't have done what Tasha needed to do plot wise in terms of introducing the church and the silence and explaining all the stuff going on because River was a consequence of this episode. 
But All right, the, sorry, I get the, the, the character interactions between the two are just, it's River and the Doctor flirting, just with a different person. What, what do we think about the episode just as the, the story of it, which is the 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 time laws coming through the doctor taking up residence in christmas forget the sort of the, the rest of the ties to the run of the 11th forget the fact that it's the christmas special and the last one what do you think about the actual story of the episode did it work the actual ideas quite good i mean a lot of people have been saying it was original by having the doctor die of old age but didn't william hartnell die of old age and Pretty didn't much. john hurt die of old age they both grew so that... in yeah, so it didn't strike. The, I liked the idea of him staying somewhere for a long period of time to defend them against something. I'm not too sure that the crack in the wall reappearing was a good idea. Because always, there's always this thing in Doctor Who magazine where they make out that he's had all this planned from the very beginning. And I don't believe that he did. I think all of this is a consequence of the 50th and Eccleston not saying he was going to do it which led to the, the invention of Hurt. I don't, I've not quite made my mind up about the Time Lords being behind it. And certainly when that seemed a bit silly that they just sent some regeneration energy through the crack mm-hmm. and he took it and then suddenly he starts firing off laser beams from his hands. Uh. I, wasn't, I wasn't too sure about The actual idea behind the episode is very good. And I liked the idea of it. And I like the idea of him staying somewhere and defending them for a long time. I didn't understand how he aged so much when prior to this. Hasn't he already aged a thousand years and not changed? And then suddenly years. he's on. The, is it? It's and then he's on the planet for 300 odd years and he suddenly becomes an old man. Well, because he did 200 years between the beginning and the end of Series 6. Because there's a massive right. gap between the end of the God Complex and closing time. Yeah, a huge gap. Then we don't know how long there's been between each episode for them because we don't have a continuous companion in the TARDIS. He's always picking them up and dropping yeah, them off. Yeah, he drops yeah. them off and then goes away and does stuff and then um, comes back. But because I've been re-watching Matt Smith, you can tell there's a massive difference between his portrayal of the Doctor in the 11th hour and Series 5 and from the end of Series 6 onwards. There is a massive difference in how he holds himself, how he stars himself, how he acts... And it, it's very much an internal aging, and then that's just made more external as the other hundreds of years go on. And we, it's also uh, kind of it's also kind of implied that during the time between uh, Clara leaving or Clara being sent away and coming back, that there might have been a, a significant amount of time passing through there. So, you know, the fact that he just aged, there could have been hundreds and hundreds of years going on there as well. Yeah, so. I think it's three hundred years with her trying to get back on the outside of the TARDIS, and then who knows how many hundreds more. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, before Tasha goes and picks her up. I should point out, I did finish watching the episode for the third time, went and made a cup of tea and signed on to Skype. Okay. So it's very fresh in my mind. Well, there you go. You've got one up on us then. I just blew on the last ten minutes before I came on. Mm. Um, so, I mean, there are some really... You've hit me on the head. I loved uh, my in- initial reaction watching it with my parents who can't stand Doctor Who. I inflicted this on them <laughs> yet again on Christmas. They they hit back with Downton Abbey. Uh, but it had Paul Giamatti oh. in, so, so I was okay with that. It was Mrs. Brown's boys that did me in. But my initial reaction was I loved the fact that we're, we're jumping through the Doctor's life in the same way the Doctor jumped through Amy's life in the 11th hour. It was such a an amazing thematic companion piece to the opening of the where in the 11th hour we stay with the doctor pretty much 
we only skip away from him for a few minutes in his timeline whilst Amy goes on for years. So to ha- now stick with Clara almost continuously whilst the Doctor ages decades and centuries was just a gr- I thought were a brilliant way of closing that out. Do you think that was some? Do you think that was actual intended symmetry that uh, Moffat decided to put in the final episode, kind of make it mirror the? Alert? I think he's whether or not he sat down and went right. I want this to be a mirror. Or as he was writing, he. I think he's far too clever not to notice those parallels if they start coming out as he's writing and then to play on them. I don't know if he sat down in 2009 when he was writing the 11th hour going, right, this is how I'm going to end it, this is how I'm going to start it. Um, Andy, what you're saying about it being planned, I think there's an element of making it up as he goes along, but it almost holds together, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it almost holds together really well. I'd I'd love to know the behind the scenes of the 50th, like how far Christopher Eccleston's negotiations went. Did Moffat write a draft that had Eccleston's Doctor in it to try and bring him on? I don't believe the John Hurt thing was planned from the beginning. I don't believe that at all. And that has had a knock-on effect on this episode. Well, everything I've read from Moffat in Doctor Magazine says that once he clicked on the idea some point about a year and a half ago of what can we do to surprise people? We'll have out a doctor that nobody has ever heard of before and realise he had the opportunity to do that. I think Eccleston's role wasn't... I don't, I don't believe at any point the role of John Hurt's doctor was Christopher Eccleston's role originally. And see, if they had him in as just another doctor like Tennant was, it may have been too crowded as an episode. Yeah. But then it wouldn't, because it's so clear in Rose that he's just regenerated. You know, he catches sight of himself in the mirror for the first time. And starts yeah, wagging his ears. Ears, yeah. Which yeah. wouldn't work if he's fought <laughs> in the Time War for decades. Um, but actually, talking about doctors getting older, because um, this this reminds me as well. Remember at the end of Night of the Doctor when you see John Hurt in the reflection, yeah. and he's a very young John Hurt. And the implication is that he's aged in the Time War. Now, obviously, it's a Time War. He could have been alive for three weeks, but hit with a massive burst of timey-wiminess. And then Mm. got very, very irritated at that, and the irritation aged him. Yeah, well, the age is is weird. I think we've we've hit on this before. Tennant gives his age as being 704. I think 904. yeah. Tom Baker gave his age as being 700 and something. What was Sylvester McCoy? Or did he never mention it? Don't know I think in the did. novels he turned a thousand, but right. their canonicity is open to debate, as uh, Shag and I would be in the middle of if he was here. Um, but uh, the age... Let's go back a bit more to some of the unanswered questions, because it seemed like everything was wrapped up. And I don't want to get sort of hung up too much on the age, but there was a sort of three-minute info dump where it explained... Uh, what the meaning of silence will fall when the question is asked was who blew up the TARDIS, who created River, all of that suddenly boom, 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 and all those questions that we've been hanging over. And I've listened to various Doctor Who podcasts where for three years they've just raged, but who blew up the TARDIS? They got the, we got the answer. Did you ever think we were going to get that answer as to who blew up the TARDIS at the end of Series 5? I yeah, I, I did think Moffat would answer it all. I didn't think he would leave that many dangling plot threads, certainly after Matt Smith left, whenever that was going to be. So I did think he would wrap all of that up, and I do think he knew the answers to all of that originally when he started popping the questions. Whether or not it's ended up where he wanted it to go, or whether he's tinkered with it as he's gone along, as he's got better ideas, I don't know. But I do like that we're going into Peter Capaldi now with pretty much a blank slate. Not as much yeah. as we had with Eleventh Hour, 
we're 11th hour was is, is this right it's the first time since john pertwee that they've gone into a new series with no continuing cast members at all yeah is that right so we've not got that we do have clara who's going to carry on with the continuity and like you i pray to god we don't see any more of her family because god they were boring mm-hmm. but it, as an episode it was all right it was perfectly fine and i'm glad it's all been wrapped up and there's a part of me that now wants them to go forward with capaldi and not be referring to the past anymore it's fine for the 50th year fine for that but we've gone past that let's go forward and let's not constantly have any more little top nods to the past let's just go forward other than possibly in bringing back gallifrey properly and there's a part of me that doesn't even want to see him do that yet leave that for a while just very quickly the only thing that i can't quite rationalize is when we first meet the silence in series six and they explain who they are in the second episode and they say that they've ruled our planet in secrecy for centuries that just doesn't quite vibe with them being the genetically created confessional priests even with them them being on the sort of splinter group of the 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 church of the silence who are trying to stop the cracks and therefore gallifrey but they're caught in the predestination paradox it seems to be an extraordinary measure of madame kavari to go right well let's rule planet earth in secrecy for two thousand years just so they can go to the moon and we can put a little girl in a spacesuit. <laughs> that's yeah. the only bit that doesn't quite hang up for me the rest of it just sits nice in that because madame kavari was and what she had her involvement in it was a massive unanswered question at the end of series six the end of the wedding river song is very unsatisfactory in terms of what it answered because it didn't answer anything because she technically doesn't die at the end of that because that happens in an alternate reality so what happened to the real one <laughs> still a bite somewhere possibly yeah, it's. Yeah. See, if if you don't mind, if I inter- interject here, uh, Shag actually emailed me and he had some opinions on it. So I didn't know if you wanted me to read Shag's opinions because, well, fuck Shag. You know, we don't. Have <laughs> no, actually, uh, the email says, "Hi everyone." And he made some good points about me sharing my thoughts on the special. Unfortunately, he was on the road with his family visiting grandparents. But here was his short uh, version. Here's the short version of his opinion. It was boring, funny lines, boring, boring, teasing us about Claria being nude, not cool, boring, painfully boring, bye-bye handles, sad face, Gallifrey's back already, question mark, question mark, question mark, boring, Time Lords handing out regenerations like Jello Babies from another universe, no less, way too convenient, hate, hate, hate regeneration energy being used as laser cannon, even the explosions are dull, then inside the TARDIS, brilliant. Ah, uh, Matt Smith is sad for realties. Brilliant. Amy in a wig made my go- eyes go all wet. Wow, that was fast and cool. Funny first line. Thank goodness he didn't try to kill Clara like Colin Baker did. So I guess there is kind of a benefit there. Yeah, Capaldi didn't go all nuts like Baker too, so there you go. But that was Shag's little input to the show, so we can actually kind of patch Shag in the show. I fell asleep during that. What? <laughs> as, as normal. Um... So, uh, the other I don't agree that... about boring, boring, boring. I don't. I was never bored while I was watching it. There are other episodes in Matt Smith's run where I have been bored, but mm-hmm. flesh this wasn't one of them. <laughs> yes. That's the one. Yes, exactly right. Um, there was too, too 
too much going on in this one for you to be bored watching it. I'm not entirely convinced it's a great episode for Christmas Day. I don't know how people who don't watch the show regularly will have taken it, but there was far too much going on while I was enjoying it to be bored by it. Because like Stephen was saying, so much information is just thrown at you. Very quick, the regeneration thing has confused a lot of people. There's an awful lot of people who seem to think that that regeneration energy has only given him one more regeneration. But Matt Smith has a line, a new regeneration cycle. Mm -hmm. So I interpreted that as he's got another 12 regenerations there, or 13 or whatever. He's got another complete life cycle. But a lot of people miss that. And there's so much going on, I was never bored with it. There are problems that you can pick, but in the watching of it, I was enjoying it. So I don't agree with what he was saying about it being boring, which is why I wanted him to be here, Mm because I knew that he wasn't as fond of it as other people, perhaps. And then... Did you not think Capaldi was... I wanted more of him at the end. And they have been teasing us that we were going to get a little bit longer with the new Doctor than previously. I'm sure I've read somewhere the idea was they were going to give him at least a scene. And he got got less than Matt Smith got. Not really. Matt Smith turned up, he filled himself a bit, messed with his hair, then went crashing Geronimo. And Capaldi only got, really got one or two lines. And well, did we get a decent... You, that's all you get. We, 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 we learnt nothing about Matt Smith at the end of the end of time, except that he wasn't David Tennant and he had a catchphrase. Yes. This well, time, what, what, what we've learnt this time is that he's a brand new generation and he's got no memory, or he appears to be lacking his memory. And he, likes and he doesn't like the colour of his kidneys. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I don't know where you read that we were getting a scene from because I've not read a, a thing about that and I didn't expect anything. The only point where I thought we they might throw us was when Clara went back into the TARDIS and you got the slow footsteps and I was prepared for the revelation of the new Doctor. And then yeah, I wanted I, to I, dance. I wanted to dance like crazy when it was Matt Smith, devoid of the incredibly good old makeup. Just to say the old makeup, especially for the really old Doctor with the William Hartnell-esque hair. Yeah, he looked brilliant. like a, mm-hmm. he did a brilliant job with the makeup effects yeah. on it. Um, and then he acted so well. Like when he's when he's celebrating getting regeneration, you can still see he's in an old body that's not doing what he needs it to do. And it, it, it's glorious. Um, oh, I want to talk. Let's talk about something, Andy, that you mentioned just now, which is does it work as a Christmas special? Because I think that's another way we've got to look at it. The Doctor Who Christmas specials have always stood apart from the rest of the series. They've Mm. been fantastically well received in terms of viewership. In terms of fandom watching them, they tend not to be liked as much. Yeah, Voyage of the Damned is the one that I always think is a prime example of that. The regular audience loved that one. Yeah, because it had Kylie in and some big flashy specials. Well, that was 12, yeah. Um... But, um, are you familiar with the Appreciation Index score? Yes. So the Appreciation Index is, we, we have two ways of looking at how successful a television programme is in the UK. There's viewer, there's, there's viewership, which are equivalent to Nielsen ratings, and with Doctor Who, that always comes out lower initially with the overnights, then you factor in things like HD viewing and stuff like that, and it rockets upwards. So, for instance, the reports just after the 40th, 50th anniversary were, oh, Strictly Come Dancing beat Doctor Who. And then they added in the two and a half million people that weren't counting the initial overnight, and Doctor Who trounced everything. Doctor Who beat Corrie, it beat Downton, um, so it had huge viewership, although not as big as the anniversary. Its appreciation index was low. It was an 83. Now, the average for Doctor Who over the past few years has been 85. The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe had a score of 84. 
So this came in lower than that. Hmm. And I think... I've been trying to work this one out. I think it's just simply the casual audience got lost. It was too unfocused at the beginning with the, the crap joke about Newsy that never held up, the Christmas stuff, then off to the church, then off to the planet, and then you've got info dumps of stuff to wrap up. For us fans, brilliant wrapping up four years' worth of stories. But it seemed, I don't think there was a simple story for them to follow through as there have been with the most successful Christmas specials. Even the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe, generally regarded as the weakest of the uh, Matt Smith ones, had a very clear story that you could follow. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. It, it doesn't really fail as a Christmas episode because it has that kind of feel, especially with the Doctor coming to a Christmas town. But uh, the fact that it is kind of the wrap-up of the Matt Smith era and you get, you're get you trying to get all this information in to sort of close it out, it kind of detracts from the fact that it's being an actual you know, specific Christmas special. You know, they're trying to get two things done at one time, and I think in some ways it suffers a little bit from trying to have to have both those things there than rather than it just being one or the other um so the because um rusty davis has talked about journey's end and stolen earth as being a wrap-up to his four years on the show and then they just did the specials afterwards except that doesn't really work it, it it, it was more a case of let's bring back elements from the four years. So when you get to the end of time, it just has to tell the story of the Master and of the Doctor regenerating, It'd tease some stuff about the Time War, but it's not requiring you to have watched all the episodes and to have kept up with who River is and things like that. So I think End of Time played better with the casual audience. Plus it had Bernard Cribbins. That makes everything better. <laughs> We always love Bernard Cribbins. Whose birthday yeah, is his uh, I, 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 oh, Happy birthday, Bernard. Um, I don't disagree with any of that. I don't think it holds up as a Christmas special. Uh, I think the Christmas Carol one was in rewatching all the Matt Swiss ones. That's my least favourite Christmas special. Really? I think my favourite. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't like that one at all on second view. How do we get We're, rid of Andy from the call? Cool? Oh, stop. <laughs> uh, whereas Doctor and the Widow and the Wardrobe held up better on second viewing but the snowman is my favorite of his christmas specials because it's an episode of mm -hmm. doctor who that just happens to be a christmas episode and works very well this one you could have took out all the christmas references and it would just be a standard episode and i don't think it i i think matt smith's decision to leave here has hurt the episode and it's not his fault if he's had enough then fine it's best to get him going than make him stick around for another year when he doesn't want to be there but I think that hurt the show. He's had to wrap all of this up in the Christmas episode. Because obviously he wouldn't want to do all that in the 50th anniversary special. I, I don't know. I don't think it, it worked terribly well as a Christmas show. And I can see, I can understand why the appreciation index is down on this one. Now, for someone over here in the United States who doesn't get the appreciated index, how is that calculated? Is it, it you say it's... I... Is it is it complex? Is it something <laughs> like Nielsen ratings? It seems to be they throw a bunch of numbers in the air, gather them all together. All right. Isn't it something like it's supposed to be a poll of people who watch the episode who are what Moffat calls not we, not fans of the show, and they're given cards or something to how they rate the episode um, as a I'm viewing experience. The... It's something like that. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. It's run by the BBC. Um, there's a panel of around 20,000 people who invite to complete a survey every day to say what they've watched and listened to and what they thought of each programme. Um, 
they basically get about 5,000 responses a day on TV and radio programs. So it is a cross-section. I would imagine if you were one of those 20,000 people and you were a Doctor Who fan, you would probably watch and report back. But it seems like it's probably quite a good um, uh, depth and uh, breadth of the population. It's only done on the stuff if you watched it on the day of broadcast. So you can't then be swayed by reviews that came out afterwards and things like that. Okay, well that that kind of makes sense. We have something. I, I I participated in something similar to that. It's it's not Nielsen, but it was a different company, and they basically ask what you're watching and what you thought of it. So yeah, I, I think we have something similar to that over here in the states. But yeah, uh, makes sense. Um, yeah, um, there was something I wanted to check. Um, usually at the Christmas specials, we get a brief kind of glimpse at the new season. Uh, did that happen last year, or is this the first year we haven't had one? We didn't get one following, I think, Doctor Widow, because it was the nine-month gap. Because uh, it's the same thing happening this time. There's another nine-month gap, unfortunately. Well, this time, they've not started filming yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, no, they don't have anything. They, can, they have nothing they can show us. They only start they in January, don't filming. they? I thought Jenna Coleman said on B- BBC over Christmas they only start in January. Oh, I was under the impression they'd already been filming stuff. No, I'm sure she said they start in January, which is why it's going to be a nine-month filming block to September. Because originally there was something like they were going to split it in two, but they're not going to do that now. Or whether they meant it's only going to start in September and run over to next year, I don't know. No, we're getting... And they consider that splitting it in two. We're getting a full 13-episode block in the calendar year 2014. Moffat's confirmed that. Right, so that's no, not, not good because I don't want that split up. No, I'm sure she said on TV, not TV AM, not TV <laughs> She was interviewed about being in the Christmas Doctor and whatever. She's been in some period thing where she's in corsets and big her. I don't know what it was. And she says we go back in January to start filming the new series. Yes, you're right. Start filming in January. I got that one wrong. Um, yes, so. So they didn't have any footage they could show us? No. That's assume. Um, it would be nice to actually have a Doctor Who will return at the end of it. <laughs> that was kind of implied by the new Doctor. I know, but <laughs> well, it'll be back in September or October or whenever it's coming back. Giving us a rough idea of when it's coming would have been nice. I just, they, they, I just like to point out the 1996 movie. New Doctor showed up in that. <laughs> Whatever. <True>. Um... <laughs> I, I think we, we, we've talked about the episode in general. I kind of think we need to talk about the last few minutes. And this is where the spoilers really kick in, guys. Although, actually, you've kind of been spoiled already because of Shag. But the, I've said before, the it was the steps in the TARDIS. And I sort of... Yeah. When I'm watching it with my parents, I don't want to get emotionally connected to the show because I don't want any of that crap going on uh, with them around. And But when Matt turned back up as himself... Uh, it was like a powerful sense of relief and he then has his final speech and starts hallucinating young Amelia who's not young Amelia unfortunately because young Amelia is now four years older and is probably a young woman by now Um, it was very noticeable that it wasn't and then just before he regenerates Amy Pond turns up to uh, say goodbye to her raggedy man now come on guys which bit of this got you lot crying Uh, none of it made me cry (laughs) Really? really? 
<laughs> no, none of it affected me as much as Tom Baker's appearance at the end of the 50th. Well, yeah. So, again, I, just didn't. I, again, I liked it. I was enjoying it, but no, none of it got to me. I thought it was exceptionally well acted and well oh, done. Yeah. And Matt's perform- I thought Matt's performance throughout this entire episode was brilliant. And he was good. But no, it didn't. It didn't because it's a new Doctor. We're used to it now, and there's, there's a feeling that maybe they're getting a bit too self-referential with these endings now after David Tennant. And I'm kind of hoping they're going to go away from that, which is why I did like this was an extremely quick regeneration. Clara turns around, she turns back, and it's Capaldi. Mm. Smith's gone. See, I don't know. I kind of like the uh, I kind of like the reemergence of Amy. I like that there was something. Yeah. Like the Raggedy Man line and her, you know, touching his face was really generally, you know, was generally touching. And I I like the fact that it wasn't long and drawn out. I think that was one of of the things that kind of did it in for me for Tenet's Regeneration, that it felt like it was just, it was like the last 20 minutes of the episode. And I like the fact that it was over and done with. We got to the next Doctor and, and we're moving on. Um, and yeah, I do. I do also feel that yeah, because of the fiftieth and because of you know Tom Baker showing up, that this had a lot to live up to. So uh, maybe it's just the again, it's the whole Avengers thing that you know we saw this amazing fiftieth anniversary episode, and this is just sort of paling in comparison, you know, next to it, especially being you know what just a little less than one or a little over one month out from it. So there you go. Yeah, I like the fact that we had the. Um, uh, Amy's imaginary friend saying goodbye to an imaginary Amy, essentially. It's kind of a nice little <laughs> nice. thing they did. I like that. Um, and question. Did they both shave their heads at the same time, do you reckon? Similar. Cause, uh, well, Karen Gillan turned up at San Diego with the shaved head because she'd been filming Guardians of the Galaxy. Whereas Matt Smith's shaving was in sort of September time. Ah. Uh. Um, so yes, it was. It was the battle of the weeks, definitely at that <laughs> moment. Um, that was an exceptionally good gag when he said, "I'm wearing a wig in the middle of the show." That was quite fun. Yeah. Um, but for me, just that final scene. You, you say about it being almost too referential, and that was what kills the end of time for me in a tense regeneration. Because when he says, "I don't want to go," that's so clearly the actor influencing that line because Dave said it was influenced by Tennant which I would buy if he hadn't announced a year and a half previously that he was leaving and then spent you know best part of a year leading up to it and it, it felt false and un- unneeded and what he should have done was put on a brave face called out Alonzi and broken into the regeneration whereas what we got here with Matt Smith was just a brilliant goodbye that was I'm looking to what's going to happen but I'll never forget I'll never forget who I was. And what, what's the line he said? Um, I'll I will nev- not forget. Nev- one promise you'll never this. forget. Yeah. Not one day, I swear, I'll always remember when the Doctor was me. And that's the only moment I've ever felt Matt Smith come through in that. I thought he was complete. He completely earned that. He's going to be one of the great acts of our time. He's made such a huge mark with this. And I could be. He'll benefit more from his time as the Doctor than Tennant ever did. Because Tennant was always going to be a big name person. Casanova proves that. Um, but that just that that was very very well earned, and it wasn't it wasn't needy and petulant as Tennant was. It was it was earned, and then to just have Amy come down and say three words, and I wasn't expecting Amy at all. I'd not heard anything that she might have been in it, and that to me was far more emotional than her leaving in uh, Angel State Manhattan. 
so there that that's when it got me surrounded by all the pictures drawn by the kids and she just comes down touches his face says raggedy man good night and that that's the amy that i loved and missed and who definitely wasn't around in series seven mm-hmm. well with that then should we do a quick overview of his entire era and talk about matt smith's legacy sounds like a good idea all right well the first his first series was series 5 in 2010 we'll just do a rundown of the episode titles of each series as we go if that's okay just so everyone knows what we're on about his first series I won't do them all the first series in 2010 was The Eleventh Hour by Stephen Moffat The Beast Below by Stephen Moffat Victory of the Daleks by Mark Gatiss The Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone by Stephen Moffat Vampires of Venice by Toby Whithouse Amy's Choice by Simon Nye The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood by Chris Chibnall Vincent and the Doctor by Richard Curtis The Lodger by Gareth Roberts and The Pandorica Opens and The Big Bang by Stephen Moffat I think Series 5 is the strongest of all the Doctor series possibly oh, barring yeah. Series 4 I think you've got such a great breadth of different types of story being told from domestic comedy through to almost existentialist stuff with the the, the dream lord and, all, and everything that goes on with that um, you've got some of the I think some of the best episodes of the series I've ever seen The 11th Hour is my favourite hands down Vincent the Doctor was the episode that completely surprised me I had zero expectations for it and by the end of it me and my then girlfriend were just complete and utter wrecks with the episode and it's the best series finale yes yeah i totally agree with that it's it's a great overall series it's it's my favorite matt smith series until the back half of season seven easily it's it's got an absolutely wonderful mix it's got one of the best debut episodes for a doctor ever and the fact that it was constantly referenced throughout his run and has become a lot of his signatures lots of little kids dressing up as the Doctor and eating fish fingers and custard and it's all because of that one episode. As a run of shows it was pretty solid from beginning to end. It wasn't in any way terrible. A lot of people seem to think this initial series wasn't as good as it was previously. I think this is easily Smith's best series and it easily matches the best of Russell T. Davis's entire run. I think overall Davis's run was better than Smith's as a general. And I don't know why. I think it's certainly because of season six, but we'll get into that when we get to it. But I, I love an awful lot of this one. Can we compare doctors or creators, not a creator versus a doctor? Oh, I, mean, I was just talking about the era confusing. generally. Yeah, I was just on about generally. Oh, okay. But it's a great series full start, series five. I think it's it's brilliant from start to finish. A couple it's of minor also, bumps, but nothing major. It's yeah, also think, the um, year that um, Murray Gold learned how to not be completely irritating with composing. <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. I, don't, I think there's some good music in before this. I don't know that maybe it was it was scored properly prior to this. I always think maybe it was a bit too loud. Yeah. I was just going to say that out of all the seasons, 11th Hour, Pandorica, and Big Bang are the ones I've watched the most overall, if I'm remembering right. Um, along with Remem- Remembrance of the Daleks, but that's completely different era anyway but yeah i have to say this is probably my favorite of any of the seasons that we've had so far yeah, yeah it's it's the only complete season yeah i'd have to agree as well season five is perhaps the best matt smith season it's got some of the best episodes again 11th hour you can't beat that pandorica opens vincent the doctor was incredibly surprising it does have some clunkers in there vampires of venice really didn't work for me and victory of the daleks was just yeah 
But but it didn't introduce uh, the relationship between uh, the Doctor and Winston Churchill, which was used throughout uh, some of the rest of the series. So that was fine. But uh, it's it, it is yeah, I will agree with you. It is perhaps the best series that they've had so far, at least in the Matt Smith tenure. Okay, <clears throat> it's Christmas special last year. It was a Christmas Carol again by Stephen Moffat. I've already said I think it's the weakest of Smiths, but I pref- I'm, I'm prepared to listen to people tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> It, I like the timey-wiminess of it. It's the strongest by far. It actually uses time travel as a narrative device, which, surprisingly enough, Doctor Who is very reticent to do. Yeah, they um, don't do that a lot, do they? It's got a brilliant piece of guest casting. Um, it's very difficult to find a better guest actor in the show than Michael Gambon, and the, the journey he goes on uh, throughout that. It, it, it's got some amazing music, and some brilliant conceptual ideas that are just right for Christmas. Flying fish. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt I'd accept it as episode six of a thirteen-episode run. But at Christmas, superb. Yes, it's blatantly ripping off a Christmas Carol, but that's the whole idea of it. The Doctor gets his inspiration from that, and it's just it, the entire episode holds up, and you can't pick a hole in it. Well, and isn't that you know, isn't that just a sort of easy out for them to take a you know a classic Christmas car- a classic Christmas story like a Christmas Carol and just adapt it to Doctor Who? I mean, it seems simplistic, but I think they did it well enough and added enough uh, interesting bits in it into it to make it uh, you know specifically relatable to Doctor Who. So I I didn't have a problem with it. I don't think it was the weakest one, but I don't think it was the best one. Dev. Oh no, um, I enjoyed it at the time. Um, as you say, Michael Gambon is fantastic in it, but not one of my favourites out of all of the Christmas specials. Um, still good, but it's it's more middling for me than any of the other ones. You're all wrong. I have no respect for you anymore. <laughs> when did uh, you ever have this? Why you had some in the first place? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not saying uh, it's that bad. was followed by oh sorry, not saying it's followed bad, by a comic relief that. special space time. Did anyone watch that? <laughs> Everyone's yes. forgotten those. Move on. Oh no, it's great. I like. Yes. Series so six. Yes. Series six started with Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon by Stephen Moffat, Curse of the Black Spot by Stephen Thompson, The Doctor's Wife by Neil Gaiman, The Rebel Flesh, The Almost People by Matthew Graham, A Good Man Goes to War by Stephen Moffat, Let's Kill Hitler by Stephen Moffat, Night Terrors by Mark Gatiss, The Girl Who Waited by Tom McRae, The God Complex by Toby Whithouse, Closing Time by Gareth Roberts, and The Wedding of River Song by Stephen Moffat. The worst thing happened to the season was being split yes Mm -hmm. Um, it's an incredibly strong closer to this well it's incredibly strong run of episodes towards the end with the exception of the wedding of river song but the opening run is really only the only standout is the neil gaiman episode and everything else is just mediocre to poor Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one does have, uh, in in my opinion, some of the worst ones here. The Curse of the Black Spot being just oh. unmentionable. But it does have some of the better ones. Uh, the Doctor's Wife, like you said, and The Girl Who Waited are just uh, really great episodes, really well written. Uh, yeah, Wedding of River Song never really... It was a way to wrap up what happened at the beginning of the series. But yeah, it just uh, it didn't work as well for me. No, um, yeah, I no, just love closing time. 
I loved that. I loved um, is that still one with um, what's his name? James Corden. James Corden. Yeah, Stormageddon. I love both of his episodes. I think they're both just a nice little change of pace. They're not quintessential Doctor Who. They're probably not going to end up on favourite lists anywhere, but they're both entertaining. And it's nice to see Matt Smith get to do a lot of outright comedy and play some football. I don't know if we've had a Doctor who can play football before, but it was quite fun. For me, the the the, the episode which I championed from this series, which not many people do, is the God Complex. Um, which was easily it, it completely took me by surprise there was some fantastic alien stuff in it it surprised me with the uh, leaving of Rory and Amy at that point in the series and I, I don't believe they should have come back after that point um, and it had one of those characters that you occasionally get who's a one episode character whose job in the episode is basically to die and it's the character of Rita and her death in that, I was incredibly moved by. I I grew to like that character very much, and her sacrifice and the way she handled her death, I thought was incredibly moving. And some of the questions that episode raised were really different for a Doctor Who episode. I, I think it's a cracking piece, but everyone quite rightly goes for the girl who waited, because that is amazing. But I think the God Complex got missed a little bit that season. Yeah, I loved the God Complex. I loved the girl who waited as well. I liked A Good Man Goes to War. For Doctor Who does action, I thought that was a pretty good one. Introduces Strax and uh, yeah, oh yeah, Astra and Jenny. Anyone that brings in Strax in can't be a complete loss. Yeah, the Curse of the Black Spots just got awful. The Rebel, the Rebel Flesh, and the Almost People. To say how bad the Rebel Flesh is, this was where my rewatch stopped. I watched part one of the Rebel Flesh and I realised it was a two-parter, and I almost couldn't bring myself to carry on. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad claustrophobic two-parter. There's not much that's wrong with it. It just doesn't shine in any way, shape or form. And then because it ties into the overarching story of Series 6, which I find to be completely uninteresting, Riversong was far more interesting when we didn't know who she was. And as we grew to know more and more about her, the less interesting she got. And when the overarching story of Series 6 then became her story, that's where I really lost interest. I, I genuinely think the moment when we found out that she was Rory and Amy's kid was the moment that the character could have just left the show as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I think we, that should have been it for her. I agree with you. I don't think we should have seen her again after that. I, I agree with you as well. That should have been the end of Rory and Amy. Um, so I think I'd look better on Rebel Flesh and all... Uh, is it Almost People? No. Yeah, the Almost yeah. People, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm getting confused with the Also People, which is an excellent Virgin book. Um yeah, I think I'd look back better at that if I didn't know that it was going to end with Amy collapsing into goo and the Doctor off to the uh, Demon's Run. Oh, the other thing I really despise about Series 6, that fucking nursery rhyme from the second half of the series. <laughs> Tick, tock, goes the clock. Shut up! <laughs> there's, there's something as well about this series, I know me and Stephen talked about this on Facebook. For some reason... When I rewatched all of these on Virgin Media's on-demand service, they've got a little saga cell at the beginning of them. Like, you know, at the beginning of Quantum Leap, or the A-Team, where they, they explain the premise of the show to you every week. Suddenly, Doctor Who's got Amy doing this voiceover about, when I was little, this bloke showed up in his magic blue box, and off we went on adventures, and oh, how wonderful it was. And it's as irritating as hell. And I swear we didn't have these when this aired in the UK. I'm no, going to say that's probably... Only. 
Yeah, I'm probably going to say that's probably a, a United States thing because that was one of the things that we had when it was playing over here on BBC America. They would always preface the show with Amy going, you know, I was young and I met this man, a you know, raggedy man, and he took me on adventures and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think it was because they thought that there were new people coming into this Doctor Who show who didn't exactly know what was going on, so they wanted a sort of recap of the beginning. So I don't think this was specifically for the UK audience. This was more for American audiences. You know what it is? It, it's this. In every generation, there is the chosen one. She alone <laughs> will stand against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. She is the Slayer. Uh, it wasn't as bad when Tony Head did it, but it's still pretty god awful. At least when he did it, he brought something to it. The original voice, that American oh, it's guy. Horrible. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Um, the Christmas special that year was The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe, and there was a couple of mini episodes called Pond Life. I've never seen the mini episodes Pond Life, so I don't know what they're like. Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe, I thought held up much better on second viewing. I'd have to go rewatch it. Uh, you know, I didn't dislike it but i think it was probably one of the weaker ones of the christmas specials of the matt smith era uh it was a nice sort of a female empowerment episode but yeah overall i preferred the snowman way more than this yeah i, 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 I was just so disappointed with how slight dr widow and the wardrobe was um yeah oh look some intelligent trees let's run away from them in the big tall stompy thing and somehow save Alexander Armstrong from being the voice of Sarah Jane's computer. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reference that only you're going to get, Stephen. I get it. Okay. Well, no, Alexander I, Armstrong uh, was the voice of Mr. Smith. Okay. Sarah he showed up in an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh. All right. he, he, he's the one who went, calling the Doctor. <laughs> and he also, had, he also had intercourse with K-9. Next. Uh, <laughs> Oh. He saw it. K9 stuck oh. out his pokey thing. Oh, slot. Stop. <laughs> oh, this is a kids show. Uh, did I'm anyone ever see Pond goes. Life? Pond Life was a five-part web series they did before the start of series yeah. seven to show the disintegration of the marriage between Amy and Rory, and how was it, any it, was it was basically how they got on in the time whilst the Doctor was off doing his other stuff. It was. It was the first Doctor Who we'd had in nine months, so we lapped it up, but yeah, it's very slight. And uh, it's it's not it that far? I don't believe so. I, I, oh, I let's have a check. it shows up in the toilet? Oh, he... to do with the toilet. Oh, God. Hold on. Let, let's check this Pond Life Doctor Who. Yeah, he does. So, yeah, the Doctor... It's basically them trying to live their life with the Doctor. Sorry, that's what it is. I'd forgotten that. They leave an ood on the toilet. That's what Excellent. it is. Good, 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 good. Yeah, I've never seen it. I'll, I'll tell you. Always say Ood on the loo. Brilliant. <laughs> Series seven, part one, aired in 2012. It was Asylum of the Daleks by Stephen Moffat, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship by Chris Chibnall, A Town Called Mercy by Toby Whithouse, The Power of Three by Chris Chibnall, and The Angels Take Manhattan by Stephen Moffat. Asylum of the Daleks is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love Asylum of the Daleks. It introduces it, the essentially the new version of the Robo Man. Yes, I guess. Which, I, which I dislike immensely. I really hate the idea that they just grow, randomly grow eye stalks from their foreheads. I think it's the kind of visual a child would come up with, and somebody should really have nixed it and said no. 
the Daleks have absolutely no reason to do that. The Daleks are about basically racial purity. The fact they have a caste system with the, the Uber Daleks because the BBC made some props and nobody liked them but they have to keep using them because they spent lots of money on them is bad enough. But then to just, oh, right, we've got some human slaves, let's make them grow stalks so that they can give away their Daleks. Just, it, it's pointless, and it's just, I really dislike the visual, and that set me off on a bad foot with the first half of Series 7, and it never recovered. It's kind of like just the Cybermen assimilating people, and it's, yeah, it doesn't really work very well with but, the but Daleks, but I like the episode. It's the whole point of the Cybermen. The yes, Daleks but the Cybermen, you. that's the reason for being... But yeah. I like the episode a great deal. I think as an episode, it's really good. I think Jenna Coleman's fantastic in it. I think Amy and Rory are quite good in this one. Although I agree completely they shouldn't have come back. That should have been the end of Amy and Rory. But they didn't, so they're here, so we live with it. There's a, supposedly every single Dalek is in this episode. But I think it's very much... Are they just off-camera somewhere? Because I, I only remember seeing the big battle Dalek from Remembrance of the Daleks. Where are all the other ones? In the background. So they don't have actually any prominent role then? No, in fact, when they go into the room with the Daleks from Spiridon and all the other places where he fought them in the classic series, it's new series Daleks. Yeah. And is that why they've gone back to the new old ones? Because the oh, new no. one, big fat Daleks are crap. Is that true? Yeah. They, they went back to it because there was such a massive outcry against it. So they then recast them as like the ruling elite. I didn't know that's why they'd brought the old ones back. Michael had this theory they brought the old ones back because originally they were designed to be the same height as Billy Piper. And now they've cast Jenna Coleman, they brought the smaller ones back again. That was his theory, and I thought, alright, I'll go with that. I didn't know there'd sorry. been this huge outcry. Sorry, sorry, let's just get this straight. They designed the new Daleks to be the same height as an actress who left the series two years previously. Yeah, that's what he's read. I don't know if he's right. No, no, no. The the new old Daleks, the ones from the Russell T Davis era. Right. He said he thought they'd brought them back instead of the big fat multicolored ones, because Jenna Coleman's quite short. Okay. God, he comes up with some crap at times. <laughs> Isn't he? <laughs> I mean, I listened to the show, so I should expect that. But really, that that's a that's a new. <laughs> I thought it was perfectly planned. Oh, well, I didn't know they got rid of the multicolored ones because nobody liked them. They were shit. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, for me, this one was this was kind of a mixed bag. It had some good episodes in it. Uh, of course, Asylum of the Daleks, introducing Jen Louise Coleman. She was phenomenal in that. She stole the show and basically uh, gave the idea of Clara being the uh, companion for the Doctor for the rest of this series. Uh, it was just a great setup for her, even though she wasn't necessarily... Well, I don't know. Would you necessarily consider her, the character she was playing in here to be Clara? Is it all the whole timey waminess of her going to the web of time and all this? Or is she a completely different person? Yeah, both. Okay. Uh, Power of Three. Eh, I could take or leave that. Uh, Best thing about it was the introduction of... Um brigadier's daughter mm -hmm. that was that was basically very nice. uh i've always liked toby whithouse I, i've loved the other stuff that he's done i thought being human was an interesting concept and for the, for the first couple of seasons of that i thought it was really good uh town called mercy was fun dinosaurs in the spaceship uh you know just a fun little jaunty little thing and i would like to see 
you know, maybe the characters that were uh, introduced in that Cleopatra and the sort of Indiana Jones adventurer type person come back. That would be kind of interesting to see. It's the snakes on a plane of Doctor Who. <laughs> it does exactly what it says on the tin. Exactly. Uh, the, the problem I have with the series seven is it starts to be the point where they start viewing the episodes as mini movies. So you start getting the individual movie posters, and they did that ridiculous thing where the Doctor Who title would be a different colour each episode to represent the episode. And it's just like, yeah, I prefer if you took the time away from coming up with individual episode posters and slightly different credits and put them into, you know, a bit more script editing so that the power of three just doesn't suddenly run out of time. So Doctor waves a screwdriver and solves the day in one of the worst uses of that. Mm. Um, It's... Yeah, and I, I just, I'm not a fan of those five episodes. Uh, Rory and Amy shouldn't have come back, basically. Uh, you know, the, the stuff with their divorce came out of nowhere and was solved very, very quickly. Um, I never bought into any of the emotion around their leaving. Uh, I've, I've got people who say that was one of the most traumatic hours of television they ever watched. I'm thinking, did we watch the same thing? Partly because Moff's gone, yeah, I'm going to make you cry with this episode. So I'm sitting there going, come on then, bitch, make me. <laughs> and it just, it just, it's a dull five episodes. And I was really losing faith in Doctor Who at that point. And what I needed was a good Christmas special to relight the fire, as it were. Which well, Leads us into the specials for 2012. There was a mini episode called PS by Chris Chibnall. Never read it. Never read it. Sorry, never saw it. The Great Detective by Stephen Moffat. And this year's Christmas special, which was The Snowman by Stephen Moffat. What's PS and The Great Detective? PS is a scene which was supposed to have been shot for um, Angels Take Manhattan, but they didn't have the actor available, oh. which was um, the guy who played Roy's father. I can't think of his name. And it was going to be... Uh, Rory's son or grandson delivering a letter to mm. Rory's dad two weeks after he last saw him, explaining that they would never meet again and what had happened, and that they were happy, and this was his new family. Yeah. This so was... what they did was they got Arthur Darville to basically narrate it, and they did it as a, as, as a semi-animated storyboard. Yeah, it was. Oh, that was really touching. I, that now that I remember you, you know, now that you've explained what that is, yeah, that was a really good thing, and it would have been a nice sort of outro. I don't know if they included it in. Uh, the series seven part one yes, DVD release. Okay. Cause that was just really touching and really great, uh, ending to that. And, uh, actually that was more emotional for me than the entirety of angels take man. That I, I, I actually felt more touched by that than I did the, the episode that was supposed to, uh, make me feel sad for the loss of the pawns. Right. What was the great detective? Uh, just a oh, wasn't it just a random prequel to the thing? Not prequel, prologue. Sorry, um, to the Christmas episode, which was it basically set up the idea that the Doctor's withdrawn and the Paternoster Square gang are trying to engage him, and he's not really going for it. Right, that's sounds, which led into the Christmas special, The Snowman, which was brilliant. I love this one. I oh, think this one's great. Yeah, yeah. Bringing back the great intelligence was a nice little uh, touch that I really enjoyed. And uh, was it Richard Grant? Richard, Richard, e. Grant. E. Grant. Richard E. Grant. Richard E. Grant. Okay, he was he was wonderful portraying that. I loved that. And Ian McKellen. Little bit of a waste of Ian McKellen. Pretty much. Uh, who never really got to do that much, and it's a shame that he did the voiceover because it kind of precludes him doing actually anything for the show because he'll have done it, and he doesn't like to go back to things again unless there's massive paychecks involved. Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so, mm. yeah, I love, I love Matt favorite. Smith's performance in this one. I think the yes. snowman's brilliant. He and did, the, like Stephen said earlier on, he's noticeably different in how he's playing him in this one, and it's it's brilliant. It's really good. I really like this one. He's got a great costume in this one as well. Um, it's only a mm. one-off. I absolutely love his Victorian one. The scene where Stephen Moffat rips off Sherlock with gleeful flight yes. <laughs> and it's just superb and um, then you get the one thing they'd wanted to do since the start of in 2005 which is have a character walk around the TARDIS then through the front doors into the TARDIS console and around the, the, the console in one continuous shot they finally were able to do that mm, which, uh, it's a good episode it, it is and it, it nicely kickstarts the next half of the series um and where this Christmas special fell down by being far too involved in the overarching plot, this one just started to kick off the overarching plot in the last few minutes by being blatantly saying, oh, oh, we have a new thing to investigate. This is our new bad wolf. This is our new cracks in time and silence will fall and stuff. Which led into the second half of the series. Before, before we go into that, though, I just want to mention some Taran Carols. Oh. <laughs> this time. Yes. <laughs> the, the best the, special the, ever. So basically you have, you've got five Doctor actors. So Clara, the Doctor, Jenny and Bastard just standing behind her Strax as he sings very violent versions of Christmas Carols. He's just making up. He's just <laughs> making them up. And there's a, the last one. He manages you better not shout, you better not cry, you better watch out, I'm telling you why. A Santaran warfleet is coming to reduce your planet to atoms. When the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along, I use the twittering avian for target practice. Strax, Christmas is fun. Come on now. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. It proved to be a tactical disadvantage because it enabled me to punch him in the dark. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose, which made it easy for me to punch him in the dark. It proved to be a tactical disadvantage that it enabled me to punch him in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, he, just, he breaks them, and it's brilliant. Ah. Uh... I, I'm pretty sure I'm watching those every Christmas from now on, or from then on. For the rest of your life! Because they're so much fun. And if you only bring them out once a year, they won't get old. Fair enough. Uh, so, the, yep, Series 7 Part 2. The Bells of St. John by Stephen Moffat. The Rings of Akhetan by Neil Cross. Cold War by Mark Gatiss. Hide by Neil Cross. Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS by Stephen Thompson. The Crimson Horror by Mark Gatiss. Nightmare in Silver by Neil Gaiman. And The Name of the Doctor by Stephen Moffat. Bells of St. John's great. Rings of Akhetan I think is really good as well. A lot of people hate that one. I I love the music in that one. Yeah, I quite like that one. Although he does use the sonic screwdriver to somehow keep the thing up, but since everything they do is based on sound and sonics anyway, it does kind of work. But yeah, just the keeping of the door open, bit of a stretch, but we'll go with it. Cold War was great because of David Warner. Oh, everything's great with David Warner. Everything works better with a bit of David Warner listening to Ultravox. <laughs> I, quite, I quite like that. Uh, Hyde, which was Hyde. 
Uh, it's the one with Jessica yeah. Rain. Oh, Doug Ray Scott and uh, the girl who was in um, An Adventure in Space and Time. Yeah. Jessica Rain. That's the one. <laughs> I like that. Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Rubbish. It's kind of ripping off. It's kind of ripping off Clive Barker. It seems very Hellraiser at points, just it's with just... the merging things and stuff like that. Well, just maybe not more Hellraiser, but the... more what was it? Event Horizon, maybe. Oh yeah, that too. Uh, so, it's yeah, not... very odd. It's just a, a massive waste. Not a particularly interesting plot, and the design team massively dropped the ball. Um, every single room they go into in the TARDIS, they walk into on the ground floor and they look up and go, wow, isn't this big? It's like, <laughs> at least one of them, because they've not walked in and then it goes down as well as up. They walk in at the top level of something and just show that it's completely infinite, which is why we've always had it. Instead of, oh, it's a slightly bigger room, we've walked on the ground floor of it. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Or just a really small room. You know, just for yeah, variety. One closet or toilet would have been nice living quarters the swimming pool for christ's sake yeah that they keep making jokes about tegan and this uh, room yeah you all know what happened Nightmare. there <laughs> they knew on my imagination that happened in there uh the crimson horror i think that one i quite like that one because of strax isn't this the first 15 minutes the doctor's not in it is he this is the jenny son uh, strax and madame vastra show for the 15 minutes isn't it yeah, yeah pretty much yeah. yeah it's the one with diana rigg yeah, yeah quite like the that. Avengers to the other Avengers. Yes. Nightmare in Silver, I didn't think that was very good. Which is a shame, because it was a Neil Gaiman episode. Yeah, that was... I believe the name of the Doctor for a minute. What did you all think of that one? Those episodes? I thought it was alright. Um, Nightmare in Silver, I like for Work Davies and Cyberman Doctor. I just like the battle between themselves. Yes, and yeah, that. the chess game. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that I liked. The kids, yeah. not so much. No. Yeah, it wasn't. It, their point. It, it was kind of a weird, especially coming from uh, the, doc, the doctor's wife. This Neil Gaiman episode was kind of lacking. It wasn't awful, but it just you know when you when you've got the doctor's wife, which I think is one of the seminal uh, Matt Smith Doctor Who episodes, compared to this one, it's just it just doesn't hold up in my opinion. Okay, so the name of the doctor closed out the series. Yep. This is we probably my favorite of the series completely, because I just like all the little references back to all of the other stuff. Mm. And the the rhyming in this series isn't as bad as the previous one. It's not as bad as the nursery rhyme, because everyone uh, everyone starts doing it. All the Whispermen have have it, and Richard E. Grant does it as well. Does what? Sorry. Rhyming. I don't. Basically, remember. every time he's talking, he rhymes seemingly before you actually meet him again does he tell the doctor his friends will be lost forevermore unless he goes to Trenzalore and then when they're being chased by the um, whispermen and the, the various tunnels it's stuff like um, the girl who died will die once more on the field of Trenzalore because they can only rhyme Trenzalore you know sorry I'll shut up now <laughs> no no it's fine you can talk about the rhyming if you want to. I, I like this one. I think this one's great. I wasn't too sure about the ending the first time I saw it, but they do completely redeem themselves when they follow oh, it up, so yeah. fair enough. Uh, it doesn't exist. Ah. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Well, because 
up until the last, uh, I'd say, eight or so minutes of the Christmas special, it did exist. Then the Time Lords popped through the crack, uh, gave him a new regenerative cycle, so he didn't die on the fields of Trenzalore. So therefore, they couldn't have gone to his TARDIS graveyard, gone into his biodata. They bill intended it. <laughs> they set it up afterwards. They made it look like that's where his grave was. And put a very convenient plot hole, which we will call time web thingy, um, for people to jump into. It's that that that's that's all I can do with that, sorry. It's time <laughs> It's timey wimey. <laughs> The 50th anniversary finally kicked off properly with The Night of the Doctor by Stephen Moffat, The Last Day by Stephen Moffat, which were two mini-episodes, The Day of the Doctor, the 50th anniversary special by Stephen Moffat, and The Time of the Doctor, also by Stephen Moffat. I think we pretty much... I don't think we need to mention The Night of the Doctor and The Day of the Doctor, do we? No, I think we talked about those in the... the, uh in the 50th episode and i think those were the the last day was forget we considered talking about it yeah we considered it and then we decided not to because it really it really had no bearing on it aside from showing that you know gallifrey was under attack by the daleks so there you go wow i never saw it Uh, and we've already discussed the time of the doctor so all that remains is really what do you think matt smith's legacy to the show is going to be he made us forget about David Tennant very, very quickly. Yeah, ten minutes in, as soon as fish fingers and custard became a thing. Not even that far in. He'd made me forget about him before the episode finished. I mean, Tennant, <laughs> who was trending on Twitter that night, um, and you, just at that moment where he's quizzing the Atraxi, and he says, is this world protected? And you just get all those doctors and then he steps through them and says hello i'm the doctor and he's fully dressed no one has taken command of a role as well as he has in that moment and he sets that up and he is the doctor straight away it's hard to separate smith from moffat because the high points of smith's run are the high points of moffat's run and where moffat isn't firing all cylinders those are the episodes that we tend not to like so much, whether that's as a writer or as a um, as a showrunner. Yeah, I think, um, and this was Professor Allen that commented on this on the 50th, or, or made the comment about this, that uh, Stephen Moffat is a great writer, maybe not so much a great showrunner, and usually when there's a Stephen Moffat episode with Matt Smith in it, it is one of the more exceptional episodes. So I think the two are sort of linked together and yes matt smith when he came he came out you know guns a blazing so to speak he came out swinging with this and actually took the role as his own and the fact that he very quickly made you forget david Tennant as the doctor is is i think a testament to how great a character he was and how uh, i think in the overall in the overarching storyline of Doctor Who that Matt Smith is going to be remembered up there with I think Tom Baker is one of the greatest doctors in the series my opinion of course I'm prepared to call him my doctor Um, I mean McGann is my doctor in terms of he was the first doctor that I watched when his episodes were on TV but 
Matt Smith is a doctor that I absolutely adore and I've probably seen the 11th hour more than any other episode of anything because I just love it so much yeah it's something similar to me I'm not sure if I'd put him as my doctor Um, I think that's still Sylvester McGuire same reasons Um, but 11th hour was just so well done and as you mentioned before the him stepping through and taking command essentially of the character and the role in that moment just cemented him as the doctor uh, yeah I, I I am looking forward to Capaldi though and seeing what he can do with it I, I will miss Matt but oh well things yeah, change I loved him. as they must I loved him I didn't want him to go but gone he has and there you go that's our Matt Smith retrospective mm-hmm. yeah thanks everyone for listening uh, anyone have any uh, closing thoughts I don't like the colour of my kidneys <laughs> I will not forget one line of this not one day I swear I'll always remember when the doctor was Matt Smith raggedy man good night You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft. 
which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this. Good, because cunty, 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 cunty. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> That's an outtake, isn't it? <laughs>